Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I hope you had a lovely break for the holidays. I ended up taking about a week fully away from my phone to be present with my family and friends, and it was really, really lovely. Zach and I came back to California for the holidays. We always stay with his family in the Bay Area. We were working out here for all of January so that we can have more family time and more sunshine. It's an interesting time, January. It feels really fresh and exciting, like the year and the decade this time is full of all of these possibilities, but that can also come with a ton of pressure. Marie Forleo, who is a guest on one of my favorite episodes of this podcast, she has this amazing decade in review on her YouTube, which I highly recommend. I have been doing that and I've been taking time to reflect, taking time to get excited, but I've also been really trying not to put too much pressure on myself to change everything right now or like, this has to be my best year ever. I think that the pressure of January can add to anxiety a lot, so at least for me. So I'm sort of moseying in, I'm trying to go really slowly and I'm trying to be really gentle with myself and I definitely urge you to do the same. There's a lot of new year, new you crap going around, and I think all of us would do well to realize that we don't need to totally revamp ourselves, that we can be the same us, we can still take stock, and we can improve. If you are looking for a little bit of a reset, I released a new ebook this week, my actually delicious 10-day detox, and it really redefines what a detox is and can be. It's filled with easy-to-make, super tasty food that fills you up and floods your body with the nutrients that it actually needs. It'll help heal your gut and fight inflammation and calm anxiety and find a happy, healthy weight. And it'll do that by using the latest science and recipes that you're actually excited to eat. You can get all the details on my website, which is lizmoody.com. It's on sale for 30% off through the end of the week. So definitely check it out before that ends. I was pretty fed up, honestly, with all these deprivation-based detoxes that I was seeing. And I wanted to create something that would let people get excited about how good healthy food can make them feel and how good it could taste. And I really hope that it helps you ease into a new year that makes you feel amazing in your body without berating or critiquing or punishing yourself at all. Okay, that said, let's get into today's episode. A lot of podcasts right now are all about healthy eating and fitness, and I definitely have a ton of stuff in that vein coming up on future episodes. But I think that appreciating our lives and gratitude is such a critical part of the happiness equation. And this is such a good time of year to practice working that muscle. It's one of the reasons I am so excited about today's podcast guest, who is the lovely and brilliant Claire Bowen. Claire is an actress and a singer. You might remember her as Scarlett from the hit TV show Nashville, which I absolutely loved her singing on that show. I remember the first episode, she sang this song at the Bluebird, If I Didn't Know Better, and it just full body chills. I love that song. Or you may have seen her at one of her many sold out performances around the world. She's released a ton of music through her work with Nashville. And then this summer, she dropped her own album, which was called Claire Bowen. And it is absolutely gorgeous singing and storytelling. And you should 100% go and listen to it. Beyond her amazing success in music and TV, though, Claire has a pretty crazy backstory. She spent much of her childhood in the hospital with cancer that still impacts her health to this day. She's been told she had two weeks to live, and then later she was told that she wouldn't make it past 27 years old. And through all of this, she's developed the most amazing perspective on life and death and love and purpose and gratitude. Her story honestly brought me to my knees. She's been through so many intense things and 
we really get into all of it here, but it also shifted how I view my own life and how I appreciate the moments in it. I really hope my intention with this episode is that it'll inspire you to start 2020 on a note of not running toward change or berating yourself or I don't know, being like, I need to be different, but of appreciating the life that you've built and the magical parts in it. It's through that, I think, that we can make room for the most significant and impactful changes in our life. So you can find Claire at Claire Bowen Official. She spells her name C-L-A-R-E. So ClaireBowenOfficial.com. And her album, which is called Claire Bowen, is available wherever albums are sold. And it's also streaming on Spotify. You can also follow her on Instagram at Claire, C-L-A-R-E. M-B-E-E. And we would both, of course, love to hear your thoughts and reactions to this episode as always. So please tag screenshot wherever you're listening and then put some thoughts on it, some reactions, some feelings, and then tag her and tag me. I'm at Liz Moody so that we can continue the conversation over there. And happy 2020 to all of you who are listening. I am so grateful that you're here and part of this family and these conversations. And I cannot wait to see what 2020 has in store for all of us. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Claire Bowen. All right, Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're all, I love to give people like an image of where we are. We're cozied up on the floor in your beautiful living room. You have like fairy lights around. You have the best pets that I've ever seen. Um, she has a, a wolf, great no. Irish wolfhound. Irish wolfhound that's literally my size, maybe larger. Does, what does he weigh? Is one eighty. Weighs about as much as my husband. (laughs) He's a big boy. He's beautiful. Um, But yeah, it's just, and it smells delicious. What are we smelling? Uh, It's probably, uh, those are acorns hitting the ceiling. I can't, the roof, I can't do anything about that. (laughs) Um, Probably, I've always burnt Nag Shampa. We've had that at the house, like, since I was little. Um, So there's, yeah, just Nag Shampa. And then there's some Palo Santo, probably, that was going earlier. I love it. It's such like peaceful, calming vibes the second you, I'm really afraid of flying and I flew in this morning. Um, and so it's like nice to go into a space, a space of serenity. Oh, you know? I'm so sorry. I, I totally can commiserate. The fear of flying is a big really? thing for me too. Yeah. You're, but your dad is a pilot, right? He's a flight attendant. For Qantas. Yeah. I always like was Mandy Moore's dad as a pilot too. Um, and not a too, but he works for airlines. And I was always like, that must be the coolest way to grow up because you would grow up having the whole thing demystified and being willing to yeah. travel anywhere. And it's, that wasn't true for you? It was. And now I'd like, even though I, it's gotten a lot better. In fact, it's, it's gotten exponentially better. I was on a plane and up until this point, I think it was probably 2008, maybe, I was on a flight. We we're flying over Siberia. Um, and I was looking out the window of these beautiful, like, snow curls that had, like, all the rivers freeze and stuff. I don't know what they are, but it was, like, this amazing, like, spiral stuff uh, with snow and ice. And it was I'd – never, I'd never flown that route before. Um, and a lightning struck right near the wing and the plane dropped – midair and it's middle of the night everything that wasn't nailed down hit the ceiling um, because the plane fell I don't know how many hundred feet so people hit the ceiling it was and it was just for a moment and it just it really got me after that and yeah everything was fine 
all of like there was no damage to the craft at all. Planes like they can withstand some pretty serious stuff. They like to test those jets. They bend the wings all the way over. The- I read somewhere that a plane will get struck by lightning on average once every three years. Like ev- so, every plane you've flown in has probably been struck by lightning. Yeah, especially stuff. like the older ships, like seven four sevens. But that doesn't mean that doesn't like put this thing in your brain where like oh something scary could happen at any moment. Or I you I feel like you could go two ways. You could be like. A really scary thing happened and I was totally fine. Or you could go, something scary could happen at any moment. So I should be like on high alert. Yeah. And that was, it was a balance sort of between those two things because I know like scary things happen every single day. You can be walking down the street and something can happen and you don't, it, there's no way you can prepare for that. So you can't, you can't live your life in fear. <laughs> but at the same time, when you see lightning strike the wing of your plane, it was like just off the wing, but it, it all happened so quickly that uh, I didn't really know what had happened. And of course, you're watching the flight attendants to see if that's like a big uh, thing. If you watch the flight attendants and if they appear to be worried, then you should probably be were worried. Were they? But or were they casual? Yeah, no, just for a second. They were especially the one that hit the ceiling. Poor thing. Um, everyone was fine. Did the pilot come on and like announce anything? Yeah, immediately. Like they were so good. And it was just a moment for me that at the same time now, I said it to somebody the other day, like I was on a flight and it was awful and really scary and I thought something really bad was going to happen and it didn't. It, like all this stuff, like the worst, the worst thing you can possibly imagine happened and we were completely fine. We finished the route like there was no- Was it just really turbulent? Yeah, it was because I think we hit a pocket of um, like, like warm or cold air, I'm trying to think. Uh, that's often what creates t- uh, turbulence, like temperatures. Um, and you can have stuff called like dead air where I don't know if you can even see it on a radar. And that's why you'll get that bump and you won't get like a, a warning beforehand. Do you ever like call your dad up after and be like decompress this? It was, was this actually dangerous or was this actually – like does he say stuff that's helpful to you? He does. And I talked to him about that afterwards because it really, really scared me. And for a long time it was very difficult to get back on a plane um, I had to get straight back on a flight anyway. It didn't make it easy, but I did. Uh, and I fly all the time. And I know that, I mean, I, people say, you're from Australia, like where all the sharks are and all the like all the poisonous things and stuff that might kill you even by accident just by looking at you. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, and I survived that. So, Well, and you've survived a lot else, which we will definitely <laughs> talk about. I know, I'm really hard to kill, apparently. Yes. it's. I mean, it's an admirable quality. Um, so speaking of acorns, <laughs> sorry, it's full and suddenly everything is falling. That's so interesting. Does it wake you up at night? Uh, it, no, it doesn't. It, I only really hear it during the day. I, I grew up, um, like lots of people have a corrugated iron roof in Australia. Uh, so the rain on the roof, like I it's actually quite. I love the rain on our iron roof. I think it's the most beautiful sound. It's so lovely. Yeah. Acorns. We don't, I don't think we have acorns. We have gum nuts. We don't have acorns in Australia. So this is new. <laughs> doesn't bother me though. <laughs> so speaking of fear of flying and anxiety and those types of things, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and you said that your shows get really intense and you guys go deep and talk about a lot of stuff and people reach out to you and talk about their anxiety and stuff like that. Can you give us sort of a preview of what those types of conversations at your shows are like? Um, gosh, we're, it's, it's really lovely to get to do the shows that we do. It's usually my brother and my husband and our band. Uh, and we've all lived pretty like short, albeit interesting lives thus far. So 
I figure, um, you know, growing up, anxiety was not something that people really talked about. Um, and sometimes if, you know, if you've experienced anxiety before or, uh, like, you know, that sort of, especially social stuff, um, you can come across as if you are disinterested or shy or you're like a bit aloof, but really you're terrified on the inside. And that's the way I grew up. Like I, I didn't really have, um, the most conventional upbringing. I, I grew up in a children's hospital, uh, and then way out in the bush, um, in Australia. So I was sort of removed from people my own age, unless they were very sick. And when I finally could go to school, I went to this beautiful school in Dulwich Hill, um, in Sydney. And it was quite confronting because everybody had all of their arms and legs and like they didn't look, no one looked sick except for me. And everyone was so kind and so welcoming and just like, it was an amazing experience. Um, beautiful, beautiful place to finally get to go to real school. Um, so I guess having grown up that way and for lots of other reasons, I figure you need to be able to talk about the things that, that bother you, that, that are really difficult to sort of express. I suppose it's not easy to say, like me five years ago, I wouldn't have even known, known, I wouldn't have even have known to say I have PTSD. I have it and I'm okay with it because I can identify it and I can see it. So if I'm able to talk about it and music being the universal language is such a beautiful way to bring people in and make them feel safe and make them feel heard and make them feel like they belong somewhere, they're a part of something and then be able to say, you know what? I have, I'm like, I'm not nowhere near perfect. Goodness. Like I'm, I'm, I'm covered in scars and I'm, I'm quite nervous around people a lot of the time. I've gotten a lot better. Um, my husband has been a really amazing champion for just introducing me to wonderful people and I have an amazing team, an amazing family. Um, but just to be able to talk to people and say, hey, this is um, like I, I had a friend of mine who was so sad that uh, she decided one day that she didn't want to be here anymore. Uh, and we wrote a song about it called Ave's Song. And she's one of my best friends in the whole world. Um, and to be able to say she found happiness that she didn't even know could possibly have existed past this terrible place where she tried to take her own life um, is something that I think I, I, I'm not any smarter than the next person. I'm probably less intelligent than most people I know, which, you know, you've got to surround yourself with people better than you to, to grow. Um, and I'm not a doctor and I'm not a psychologist, but I'm just a, I'm just a person who's tried to do their best and get through things without knowing it's the cat purring. She's making herself known. Hi, Lumi. <laughs> she looks very happy. She's, it means she likes you. If she doesn't like you, she'll be somewhere else in the house. Um, just to be able to talk about those things and say, I know that, you know, people make things look perfect on Instagram and on social media, we're all expected to be this, you know, glorious creature all the time. And I'm not, I'm imperfect. I'm, I'm a mess actually. And I've lived through all of these things and I've walked through things that my friends and family have lived through. Some of them haven't lived. Um, and it happens to everybody and it's really hard to talk about. So if you don't feel like, if, if the things that you've gone through in your life make you feel like you don't belong anywhere, I want you to know that you belong right here with us because there is not a single person standing on this stage or in the audience who at some point has felt not good enough or like they don't fit or like 
no one likes them. You know what I mean? Um, so to be able to open that door and do it with music and tell stories that are true, uh, with obviously with the permission of the people who they've happened to, and like a lot of them have, they're my stories. Um, it just creates this gorgeous forum and a way for people to communicate. And I've found that like fans from across the world have made friends with one another. It's really nice. And like I, people say really lovely things to me, which is super sweet. But my favorite thing is when I see that the fans are starting to make friends and they'll all meet. They'll like, I had um, people from Germany and uh, Holland and uh, Glasgow and gosh, uh, Wales all meet up actually at the New York show and they all sat together and some of them had never met before, but they were all sitting there and they've all got, I don't know, this, this one thing in common and it's music that they really love and all the songs mean something different to them, but that's where they find community. That's where they're together and they've made these new friends that maybe they wouldn't have if not for these stories. And if you're going to talk about really serious things, especially at a, at a show, you're going to take people down that hole and, you know, you have to be aware of people's triggers and what might make people feel not good. Um, you've got to be able to bring them back up. And that's what we do. Like, like all of these things have happened, but we're here and we're all together. Lumi, don't do that. She's like tapping the microphone with her <laughs> tail. You are cheeky. Um, yeah, we've all, we've been through it and we're all still here. How lucky are we to be still here? So do you find it, do you find that it assuages your sort of loneliness and your feelings of lack of self-worth or anything like that to build this community or is it, or maybe it's both, but is it hard to hold space for all of these people's feelings that are that intense? It can be, but that's why you keep it very positive and it doesn't mean that you can't address the very dark things. Like I tell people, I found, I, I found my best friend the morning after she had tried to leave the world and I didn't recognize her. It's really even still hard to talk about because I love her so much. Um, but to be able to talk about it is it, it puts it in the air and it gives it a place to live. That's not a secret, horrible, like cupboard inside yourself that you have to hide. That's something that makes you feel like it's tattooed on your forehead and you have to keep your head down, you know, and to say this, this happens to people and they get better things get better. They're, it's amazing. Like human beings, like just living creatures, will to live, ability to survive, ability to adapt. Um, it's incredible. I was given two weeks to live when I was four. Yeah. Let's talk about that for sure. a second. Cause that is a crazy, it's just interesting. Cause I come from the wellness world and we do, I think a lot of people do all of these things to try to avoid the exact circumstance that you're in. We're like, Oh, if we drink enough, <laughs> green smoothies, if we meditate enough, then we won't have our body sort of um, rebel against us in that way, honestly. Mm. So, and you confronted that at a very young age. So do you clearly remember sort of being diagnosed and stuff like that? You were four, right? Yeah. Um, I remember, I have a long memory. Um, and then I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So <laughs> uh, we were house sitting for a friend in. Um, in a place called King's Cross in Australia. It was a beautiful, beautiful place called Wildfell Gardens. And there was a stray cat that used to come to the door. His name was Butch. He was an old Russian blue that everybody fed, so he's very fat. Um, he would come and say, I haven't been fed. I've been fed by like <laughs> nine neighbors. <laughs> so like so cheeky. I love cats. Um, and I, I didn't have a cat of my own. We moved around a lot. 
So uh, mum would tell me when Butch would come to the door to tell us that he had not been fed despite having three breakfasts already. And she would put down a bowl of something for him. She'd call me and I'd come running. And being, I guess I was a bit of an eccentric, my dad would say eccentric child. Uh, She would put a bowl of food down for the cat and I would insist upon eating like the cat. So I would get down on my hands and knees and drink a bowl of milk off the floor (laughs) next to the cat. She didn't give the cat milk. Cats are lactose intolerant. She gave me milk. Um, And uh, so I, I, I would love seeing Butch. Like he'd come by every, you know, two or three days to be fed. And I remember one day sitting on the couch and I was watching a cartoon and television was a strange thing because we didn't have one at our place down the coast. Um, And mum said, oh, Claire Butch is here. And I remember feeling so guilty because I just didn't care. I I just, there was nothing, I hadn't been feeling very well and I remember being very tired walking. And I thought to myself, this is like four-year-old me. I just had my fourth birthday. Uh, oh, and I had a lamington cake and I didn't want to eat it. It's just it's my favorite thing. I love lamingtons. Um, they're an Australian sponge cake with chocolate and coconut on it. And uh, I sat there and thought, oh, God, I feel so bad. I should go and see Butch. And I tried to get up and I couldn't move my legs. And mum had been taking me to the doctor like she'd taken me a dozen times and they had said, you're, you know, you're paranoid, it's your first baby, she's fine, she's got a cold, she's had the flu, all of these things. And she had taken me like multiple times and it happens a lot to especially first, first-time parents and their child is not diagnosed until it's either too late or almost too late. Because they're just essentially told they're like hysterical? Pretty much, yeah. It's great. Um, that doctor came and apologized when I was diagnosed uh, and mum said that I sat in the bed and I didn't, I didn't want to be rude to him, but I knew the way he'd spoken to my mum. I was sitting in this, she, she told me, she's like, you're in the, in the bed looking like really sick. You couldn't move. Um, and he came in like hat in his hands, just so apologetic. And I had remembered how patronizing he had been to my mother. And I just said, you can leave now. It's awful. <laughs> I feel terrible, <laughs> but I can't tolerate people being awful to my parents. I'm so protective over them. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I was rushed to the emergency room um, and dad had come home from a trip. Like we talked about, he's a flight attendant and he still is. I'm trying to get him to retire, <laughs> uh, even though Qantas is wonderful. And um, I was diagnosed in the emergency room as having a thing called nephroblastoma, which had grown to about the size of a football, but not the shape. So it had taken over most of my abdominal cavity and was crushing everything. Uh, and it was attached to my kidney. Um, and they said, we need to, we, we need to like start a plan right away. But th- the problem is there isn't one, like there's no, there's no treatment for this. It's end stage. Like she's got two weeks and they suggested just like pain management until I was gone. Did you understand what that meant at that age? Uh, I remember, I remember being carried in. I remember that I have a, a memory of the hospital lobby, and I remember my parents' faces, um, and I overheard a conversation that happened a couple of days later. Um, so I knew I asked my mother because the hospital was so cold. We didn't have air conditioning, only rich people, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know now. I'm not sure now, but, um, we were not, we didn't have air conditioning. Uh, and so I'd never felt that before. Um, and I, it was so cold. And I said to mum, are there heaters in heaven? Cause it's freezing here. And I knew I was dying. 
um, I remember there was a door that was, I don't know if they thought I wasn't listening or if I was sitting outside with dad. I just, I just remember overhearing a, a man's voice saying um, that I, it was two weeks and I was done. Um, so my parents said, you, you need to do something. Please do something as you would. And they said, well, there is, they talked to another team of doctors. I think uh, I don't know that part really very well, but they said, uh, there is something we can try. It hasn't been tested. Basically it's cowboy chemo. Like we don't know what it's going to do. My parents signed a waiver form to say that if it killed me straight away, like first administration, that that first administering, sorry, um, that they wouldn't, you know, sue. Um, Did they talk to you about this? Were they like, Claire, do you want, or was it, were you too young to sort of understand any of these types of things? Uh, they explained once I asked mum, and it was very like it was in the first day or so that I asked mum if there were heaters in heaven, they knew. And they had always sort of treated me like, um, obviously, they, you know, they were, they're incredible parents and they, they treated me like the child that I was. But the kind of child that I was was really curious and I wanted to know how things worked. I wanted to know what was going on. And they knew that as inquisitive as I was, I was going to figure it out and I did. So I think they they must have thought that it was better if I knew that I had to fight very hard, which is what they told me. Mum was like, yes, there are. In fact, it's, you know, you don't even need them in heaven. It's fine. But and I remember her explaining to me what it looked like up there, like in my four-year-old head. I can see people like riding around on clouds and having a great time. But she said, you can't go yet. You've got to hold on and you've got to fight. We've got to fight. Um, so we did. And the first round nearly killed me. Um, and then I had, they had to shrink the tumor to the size of a grapefruit, which is ridiculous, in a four-year-old. I think I weighed about 11 kilos when I was like at the height of the treatment, maybe 10 kilos, or not a lot at all. Um, but they managed it and they, the surgery that they ended up doing was pretty incredible. They, they cut me from my navel to my spine, um, took everything out after they'd shrunk this tumor, found that miraculously the thing was encased because normally it, it um, mastercises, strip mastercise. I can't talk today. Metastasis? That thing. It, yes. It spreads right to your lungs normally, uh, and it didn't with me. Um, so they took most of my organs out, put them in a, a, a basin, took away everything that was affected, which is I'm pretty empty on this side. Uh, actually, I have like cool scar tissue and like these extra muscles that I've grown from being a singer holding that lung up because I don't have a diaphragm on that side. So it's like scars and muscles that have like knitted together and it's really weird. So it's kind of, if I don't eat like on time, I have like to make sure I eat uh, at certain intervals during the day. This side kind of caves in and it looks really weird. Um, people are like, oh, I have such a tiny waist. I'm like, yeah, I don't have uh, a lot. Did they take like kidneys and? Yeah, they took uh, my right, the whole right kidney. Um, some of the like renal bed, uh, part of my intestine, um, the bottom of my lung was affected somehow, but I can't remember. I don't think they removed it. I think it was just kind of like they had to cauterize a lot of stuff. And when they took it all out, there's more, I, um, had a CAT scan a while ago and I, I had gone into the hospital and this lovely student doctor was like, um, he's looking at my middle and he's like, you had any surgery before? And there's a great big scar. I'm like, no, it was like that when I got here. <laughs> like, 
And then he said, do you have an appendix? Is that what could, that could be? And I'm like, you know what? I have no idea. So they have to do a CAT scan <laughs> to figure it out. Do you have an appendix? I do. He was like, actually, it's Congratulations. Healthy. I know. I felt so special. He was like, it's about the only part of you that's healthy right now. I was like, oh, that's, that's fantastic. Um, anyway, they took a whole bunch of stuff out, filled me full of chemo wash, um, sealed things up, swished me around, and then put everything back in, thankfully in the right spot mostly, and um, sewed me up, uh, drained the, the chemo wash out, and um, then took me into recovery where I proceeded to have a seizure and pop my stitches which was fantastic. So it's why it's probably a little bit, it's not quite the, uh, the work they did the first time they had to close it up again. Um, and from there it was like, just take each day at a time, which is so much of what anyone's chemotherapy is, regardless of how harsh or, you know, vicious it is. Um, and lived in the hospital for a long time and I'm still here. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know any different though. So it's okay. Like. I don't know. It, there were there are things about growing up in a hospital where I was in a ward where somebody passed away every single day, and seeing those things like I I do have PTSD. I didn't know for a long time I suffered from survivor's guilt because I'm one of the only kids that came out of my ward. I don't. Weren't you the only one who, um, with your type of cancer, getting the experimental treatment? Were you the only one who was that I know of? Said, and it was it was. You know, it's not not everyone's experience to wake up to the, you know, an alarm would go off or and you'd hear running in the hallway even if an alarm didn't go off because, you know, it's not like in the movies where it's it's not like the ER where there's codes and things like that, but you, it's a quieter thing and you just hear the squeaking of people running really fast or like trying to get somebody into surgery really quickly or resuscitate someone and you'd hear it daily. Um, and I. And there was one really vivid memory of the the little one in the bed next to me passing away. I woke up and um, I actually don't. There's a thing about living there. I don't. You didn't really know who was a boy and who was a girl unless someone put you in like pink or blue pajamas because nobody had hair. <laughs> yeah, and it was you know we all looked the same, and no one really, no one thought about not having hair. No one like even the older kids. They, it was just there was never any. Um, nothing of what you run into in the world, like in the outside world where people get worried about the way they look or how long their hair is or, you know, all that kind of stuff, just worrying about physical appearance. Um, but, and we all walked around on our toes cause I think it was Vin Christine that, um, destroyed the muscles in the backs of our legs. So it hurt to put your heels on the floor. So everyone walked around like little fairies. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, if it was a, a little girl or a little boy, but they were my friend and I woke up and their mother was holding onto them and they had, they'd gone limp and it was awful. And my mother was holding onto their mother and the, their mum was just screaming like something had been torn right out of her. Um, so there are those things that are hard and it took me a long time to, be okay, not okay. It took me a long time to realize that it's, it's, it's all right that I am the only person I know who has those things in their head, or at least I was the only person I knew. There are people out there walking around with all sorts of things in their head. And it's not about me. It's about like, I'm fine. I got to, I'm here. Uh, not everybody's story ends in a fairy tale, you know? 
Um, but it's a, I don't know any different. I do remember life before that. Um, but I consider myself incredibly lucky to have been present because people pass away every day and a lot of, you know, just cultural things, no one wants to talk about it. Uh, and it's, uh, for me, it's just as important, you know, people get excited when a baby's coming and everyone wants to catch it. <laughs> like everyone yeah. wants to be like, oh, there's a baby. It's wonderful. Someone's being born. And when you think about it, um, passing away, dying is, you know, it's, it's another part of life that's very much like being born and you want, you want to be there to hold a hand while they're on this side so that they don't ever feel like they're alone while they're getting to the other side, whatever you believe. You know, I, 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 seen enough of it to know that somebody takes your hand whoever whoever it is someone something takes your hand once you're out of this world and headed into the next and I think it's really important to be there if you can when someone is on the end of things and it's it's drawn me to wanting to become one day um and like an end of life doula Doula. yeah Yeah. that's Um, really cool that's so cool you know about that but yeah it's just I feel honored to have been it sounds strange but to have been present in those moments of, you know, very personal time with a whole lot of other families, even just as someone who was kind of stuck there. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. You all know that I am fully obsessed with tea. I probably drink honestly like 12 cups of herbal tea a day. Because of my anxiety, I don't actually consume any caffeine. I've actually found that that caffeine type stimulation and jitters can lead me to have panic attacks, which is one of the many, many reasons why I love Pucka so much. Pucka is a tea company that I became addicted to years ago when Zach and I were living in England, and they have so many herbal teas, including tons of medicinal herbs that you really can't find anywhere else. They have so many kinds, so I definitely encourage you to go to PuckaHerbs.us to check them all out. But a few of my favorites are the Relax, which has a marshmallow root, fennel, and chamomile blend, and it helps with digestion or just general stress relief. I love to drink it to just unwind and sink into my couch. And then the after-dinner tea, which I drink whenever I feel too full, which is often because I like my snacks. And then the Tulsi Clarity, which has holy basil, which is really cool. It's actually an adaptogen that adjusts to give your body whatever it needs, whether it's more energy or more focus or more zen. I love sipping on the herbal tea all day as a way to stay hydrated without drinking a ton of caffeine or getting bored by water. And I also really love reaping the benefits of all of the functional herbs. It's such an easy, impactful thing to do to totally improve your health. I know a lot of you are worried about plastic and tea bags after all of those news stories a while back, and I'm happy to report that the Pucka bags are fully plastic-free and are stitched together with 100% organic, non-GMO cotton. No weird glues or anything. 100% of their ingredients are organic, and Pucka actually sources really consciously as well. They're certified fair for life, which is the highest standard of fair trade, which means the farmers they source from are being treated well and paid super fairly. You can go to PuckaHerbs.us, check out all of Pucka's amazing tea blends. They have caffeinated ones too, including a green tea and cardamom revitalized blend that Zach is totally obsessed with. And if you have any questions or just want to chat about tea, I love chatting about tea, hit me up on Instagram at Liz Moody. I could honestly talk about tea until the end of time. Now, let's get back to the episode. Are you afraid of death now? No, it's, uh, I'm very acutely aware that this is temporary. I think it's very important to honor this life and, um, it's, you have to 
take hold of your life. I realized this a few years ago when I got, I was really not well and um, somebody hurt me very badly. And I realized that not if well, I, physically or mentally? Both. Um, and it's not something that I talk about often, but it happened. And, uh, and this is all I will say about it. I remember sitting in my bed and looking at the state that my body was in because I was so sick um, for reasons that were not in my control. I was, you know, you have all that stuff removed and you're allergic to everything and you don't know. It's like I've been on a pretty big health journey since I was a kid. Now I'm really good. But I was probably 96 pounds maybe and I'm five foot two. So even then it's not, it wasn't good. Um, And I looked at myself and looked at the state of what had happened to me and the bruises I was covered in and realized that if I didn't take a hold of my life right then and there, it was going to be taken from me. And I realized that there were reasons that I allowed myself to be treated like that and allowed myself to get to that state. And a lot of it had to do with survivor's guilt because I thought as long as I was breathing, I didn't deserve any more because there were so many people who didn't get to keep breathing. So um, I have a very acute awareness of we have to we have to think of each day as precious. I love waking up next to my husband. He's the most incredible man I have ever met in my whole life. And I would not be able to, and this is me personally, some people think differently on this matter. I've seen it a little bit. Um, just people talking about this particular sort of statement. I know that if I hadn't have learned to love myself and realized that I do deserve to be here and that I'm not some monster who lived while other people had to go, um, I wouldn't be able to, if I hadn't have gotten past all of that and taken hold of my life and my health, I wouldn't be able to love him the way I love him. I just, and he deserves, like he deserves the best I got. So, um, yeah. How did you learn to love yourself? Oh, I started going to, uh, started going to counseling and was able to identify through talking to, and this is something that I'm a real advocate for. People joke about therapy and shrinks and stuff like that, but talking to a counselor, talking to a healer, whatever you want to call them, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, whatever it is, a friend, talk to a friend, talk to somebody, like let it out so that people know the way you're feeling because if they don't, they can't help you. And that's how people are like, well, they were always fine and now they're, and then they, they, they took their own life and I don't know what I could have done. And I realize it's difficult. It was, it was difficult for me to talk about really not having much self-esteem at all and being so nervous around people all the time. But it was definitely through counseling and therapy and um, uh, EMDR, which is going back into a memory and deconstructing it for what it is as I mean there is a much more intelligent explanation for it but that uh like trauma therapy really helped me um and again it's not something I talk about very often but it uh just to be able to say to somebody I have always felt like this there is nobody else I know who is quite like me not that I'm some special being just that I have these things in my head that I see that I saw and I can't stop seeing them and I can't stop feeling bad about them. So I let people treat me badly because I don't have any concept of what I'm worth, uh, I guess. And I couldn't put it into those words back then, but it really helped. 
just to talk to someone. Do you feel like you have a strong sense of self-worth now? I do. I still have moments of like, as we all do of like, oh gosh, I'm crap today. (laughs) Everybody has those moments, but I often will write little things to myself if I, you know, if I know that I'm going into a, a situation that might make me nervous or, um, you know, make me feel small or cause everyone feels like that sometimes and that's okay. Um, I have to remind myself, like, remember, remember where you came from always because humility is, and, and just your, like where you've come from, what you've come through, remember who you are and remember who's counting on you and treat yourself the way you would if you were looking at yourself as a child how would you treat that little person who needs you so badly right now I have to remind myself of that and I think it's something that that is one thing that really really helped me um talking to my therapist um she's more of a healer she's amazing um and you know multiple people I went and talked to and they were all like you're you know you're not alone and really glad you came to me and told me this. Thank you for telling me this. And that's something we, we talk about in our shows as well. Like people will tell me things sometimes that are really quite um, heavy. And I always start with, thank you so much for sharing some of your story with me. Cause it's not their whole story It's part of it. And it's such an honor to get to hear those things, even though sometimes it can really make you like, Ooh, it's a lot, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I just, it's a day at a time, just like everybody else. So we're going to come back to your health journey in a second, but I do think a lot of people have the perception that one can get a lot of self-worth from being on a stage and having people sing their songs back to them or being on a hit TV show or getting to walk a red carpet or something like that. So can I ask how your sense of self-worth changed when you came to the U.S. and you started, you know, having a certain level of fame, like your wedding was in people and... Johnny Cash's kid, am I right? Yeah. John married, <laughs> married you. And that's, I think a lot of people see that and they're like, if I had that, I would feel so good about myself. And that's sort of why they would, I think why we put famous people up on a pedestal to a certain extent, because they look like they would feel really good about themselves. And I think that's appealing to people. So did that change at all for you? Uh, when I first got to the States, I... I guess I've always had this thing in the back of my head. It's like, I just have to do it. I have to, like, this is a thing that doesn't happen for so many people. Acting is, it's like, it's a really tough industry and so is music. Um, There are, you know, there are tougher industries out there. And I just thought, well, I've got to give it a go and really give it a go. Not any kind of, I can't hold anything back. So I didn't. And I got the job. And a lot of people say the same things to themselves and they don't get that lucky. I was very fortunate and I'm very, very blessed to get to even like to be sitting here with you is an absolute honor. So thank you. Um, I had like when, even when I got spring awakening before Nashville, I thought they're going to figure out that I'm not, I'm not everything they think I am pretty. It's like imposter syndrome or something like that. I just, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't believe it that they picked me. I didn't understand why they picked me. Um, but I, at the same time, like part of me did my four year old self knew exactly why they picked me. Um, but my, you know, 20 something year old self really didn't have a clue why I was on this journey to Nashville. It was incredible. And I, you know, it was nerve wracking. I didn't know how to use a microphone. Buddy Miller taught me how to use one and he's a saint because I'm a terrible student. Um, 
And now like this thing that I was afraid of, you know, I didn't want to make a big noise. I was afraid to make a noise and having, you know, come from, uh, you know, people telling me that I couldn't sing and things like that. No one in my family, just people at drama school. Cause people, at, I don't know, kids are mean, whatever. It's fine. Uh, but it really, it stuck with me for a very long time. Uh, and suddenly these people wanted me to sing in front of everyone for CMA Fest. And I'm standing on the, was it, it was the Nissan stadium. Is it wait, which one? The LP field where it used to be. I'm standing on that stage and there are all of these people looking at us and the pilot of Nashville was playing behind us. Uh, and my face is like 80 feet wide or something ridiculous like that on that screen. And I'm thinking these people don't know that I have like $18 in my bank account, do they? And like that attention is so, it is not, not why I got into this. Um, it was really confronting and having people like grab you in the street or like grab your hair. Um, really weird. Like just to see if it was real. I'm like, it's real. That hurts. Uh, just strange behavior that I hadn't experienced before from really good people, like lovely people who just like, I don't know, got excited or something. Um, and it was the hysteria of the show was crazy. So living in a town called Nashville whilst being on a show called Nashville was absolutely nuts. <laughs> it was insane, but it's, it was incredible. Um, and I had to, it kind of forced me to, um, be okay in crowds. I wasn't for a long time. And I think probably getting really sick and, um, you know, being, being hurt and then watching the same person sort of direct some of that towards my mother when she came to help me here. That was, I saw the way, I saw the way this person treated my mother and I saw the way he treated my dog. And that was one of the clicking points for me with self-esteem was like, if I can't protect them, um, I felt so helpless not being able to protect them and then ferociously trying to, and then realized that I hadn't been protecting myself and it kind of, everything changed. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it never, I don't think it's something that heals completely and we're human. So you have to keep reminding yourself that like, you're worth it. You're awesome. You're, you can do it. Look how far you've come. Look what you've done already. Like, remember when the stuff that you're sitting here doing, worrying about was with things that you had dreamed, like your wildest dreams was to do that. You just have to keep reminding yourself. Like I have to, I get to keep reminding myself of that. And it's a real privilege. Do you garner a sense of self-esteem from being successful in that way? Or is it, does it feed a different part of you? I really, really wanted to take care of my family. Um, that was my goal. And that's what kept me on the path to doing exactly what I set out to do. Um, and they, they always, like, they're the greatest reminder of where I came from in the whole world. I love them so much. And I'm so proud to have come from a town of 800 people <laughs> and be here and be like, ah, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> um, but success is not just that. It's, I mean, it's really nice to be able to pay your own phone bill. I'm, I've enjoyed that. It's been really lovely because I remember a time when I, I couldn't and it was quite debasing, even though I was working three jobs. And um, But my thing is getting to meet people and tell stories and knowing like the way I grew up, at a constant sort of recurring thought, it's like there is, there is nobody I know like me. There's no one I know who understands why I get so quiet in class. Like at least I don't think that there is. And, you know, 
the other children in the class are warned that there is a kid who has been really sick and so she might be a bit different or I don't know. I don't know what they said about me, but so people were aware and so we were made aware and there was nobody else that I was directed towards like, hey, he had this too or she had this or, you know, something different, but maybe you can meet on like some common ground. There wasn't anyone. Um, And a lot of the kids who I did know from different hospitals that I I met up with later on, uh, they didn't remember. So I guess they're, I don't know. They blocked it out? Maybe. And like there were there's a lot of like drugs that go through your system and you'll remember things that you it's it's weird. Like I still have memories coming back to me that are like they pop up and it's like, "Oh, it's really visceral, but beautiful." Yeah, it's it's nuts. It does very strange things to your brain. It causes a lot of inflammation. It does it wreaks havoc on your body. So, and and it's frightening for a lot of children, a lot of people. I wish that adults were treated a little bit more like children when they're sick because everyone gets frightened when they're sick. Um, but, yeah, there's just no one. So the fact that I get to create a space during our shows and with music where there might be people out there and now I know that there are all these people out there walking around feeling like what they've been through is all over their faces and they have to hide it and that nobody else could possibly understand why they get so sad when a certain thing happens or like for no reason they think there's always a reason. That's the thing to remember. There's always a reason and it's okay to go looking for it just to just to be able to live like a happy and full life and to reach out to one another. Like the fact that I get to stand on stage and tell stories and sing and introduce people to one another and say, hey, I'm like I'm all busted up but I'm okay. And that's not like a sympathy thing. It's just it's true. Like we're all we all have things that aren't the picture perfect, like what is projected to the world often. Is that your reason then? For what? Well, you said we all have a reason that, and it's okay to like go looking for your reason for why you went through this type of thing. Is your reason to hold this space and share those stories or is it something else? The reason is so for me, um, I want to create a space and I have done and I can, I, I intend to continue doing it where people who feel like they don't belong anywhere, that there is nobody else out there like them, they can come to a place and we talk about fun stuff too. But when we do talk about the scary stuff, we all go down and we all come up together and we're all together. And people like, it's not, it's not a therapy session for some people. Some people call it that. Um, It's just storytelling and it's all about life. And every song means something different to each person. And when you tell stories and sing things that elicit such a reaction as people like they they have tears running down their face or they're laughing uncontrollably or usually not at the same song, um, but it's like this this visceral reaction that happens in public where we're told to keep our feelings in line, um, that's people inadvertently sharing. It's... I I had one instance where I was singing a song and I saw this, um, it was like this, this, it was in a really big club in Germany. It was wonderful. It was in the Grunschbahn, I think, actually. There was a lady in the crowd and we were singing, I can't remember what song, and she started to tear up and sort of like immediately tried to hide it. And I saw, I watched her look around because I I love watching the audience. Like they're the reason I'm there. It's not about me. It's about them. It has to be about them. So she like looked around to sort of like self-consciously 
trying to see if anybody had seen her cry and she probably didn't even know she was doing it. And five seats down, there was another person who was also crying and they locked eyes and they didn't turn up together. They didn't know one another. But I I witnessed this moment of beautiful togetherness, these people who may have been weeping for totally different reasons, (laughs) but in that moment, strangers were no longer strangers. And that's the most beautiful thing ever. That's what I want to do. So you've said a few times that like people, your, your experience was sort of separated you and isolated you from a lot of people and like they couldn't sort of understand what you had gone through. Um, and then recently within the last few years, your brother had cancer. Yeah, it was a zinger. <laughs> like what? Yeah. So first of all, I'm sure were your parents like, what the, like, yeah, it was come pretty... on universe. I knew something was wrong. But I was here and he was there and I knew that he'd been going to the doctor, but they kind of, they sheltered me from it a bit because I guess they knew, well, they, they knew exactly how I would feel because. Is he a baby brother or big brother? Yeah, baby he's brother. six years younger than me. <laughs> he's, he's a lot bigger than me now. Uh, he's, so he was sort of born when you were going through a lot of mm-hmm. your stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. And like, you know, my parents having a new baby and a, and a little one who's really not well, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that I actually only just recently thought about that come with that, including judgment from other people. Like I was, I looked like, um, I looked like I had AIDS and I remember people pulling their children away from me in playground. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> the face you just made is exactly the way it feels. Um, yeah. The, and, and looking at my parents, like, how could you bring her out? Like, how dare you like bring her near our children thinking that I had some thinking, thinking honestly that I had AIDS and actually the only place that we could walk down the street and not get like mad side eye and have people kind of like staring at us was in King's Cross, um, which is there's lots of like, uh, lots of gay clubs down there though. There were at least back then, um, haven't been back in a while. And, uh, I remember the showgirls would come out and see me and these beautiful, beautiful transgender people in like full on Carmen Miranda feathers. Like they'd they'd be dancing down at the clubs and they all knew us. So um, mum or dad would be walking with me down the street because they wanted me to see the world. Like I wasn't well, if I could be out of the hospital, they would, they would like let me have some outside time because I always was outside before I was sick and it helped me thrive. They even snuck animals into my room in the hospital to, yeah, they did everything. They broke all the rules and it, it worked. Um, and, uh, that we would be walking down, uh, the street in the cross, which is also kind of a, it was viewed as a bit of a dangerous area. It was like the, do you say red light or blue light district? Red. Light. red okay. So yeah, kind of the red light district a little bit. Um, but also a beautiful community of really like eclectic characters who felt safe there. And like the girls would come out and they'd like, they'd give me little teddy bears and they'd always like pat my ridiculous bald head and talk to me like I was a person and hug dad. And like it just was the most beautiful community. And it's the only place that no one stared at us. Like we were like terrible people. 
And I'm just like, come on, people. Like I know. And it, it mostly comes from a place of protection, I suppose. And when fear. People I know, but also yeah. by the time I'm the same age as you, by the time I was like, I, my mom did a lot of volunteer work with people who, who had AIDS and I grew up around people who were HIV positive, like sharing dishes and like it. Awesome. It just, I never under, I was like, by the, by the time we were kids, we knew that stuff wasn't contagious in that way. And it wasn't something to be feared in that way. And the fact that so many people didn't get like the love and support that they would need because people were afraid of them. I just think, and, and also when you're talking about your own sense of self-worth, I'm sure that like having people shy away from you, like your demon is probably not helping with that. It it definitely uh, didn't, didn't really aid the monster complex that I had. <laughs> so your brother was in Australia and you were out here in Nashville and you yes. kind of heard, did he tell you eventually? And I, I was actually in Florida visiting with Brandon's beautiful sister, um, Brandon is your husband. Yes. Yeah. I have a wonderful sister-in-law. She's incredible. Uh, Jill, we were at her kids' church and they were going to sing for everybody. And um, I I got a series of strange messages from Tim and my parents, like sort of not really knowing how to tell me and not wanting to tell me that he had this terrible, terrible diagnosis. It was awful. He, he was He wouldn't have lasted much longer than two weeks either. I think it was, was it the same type of cancer? No, uh, it was lymphoma. Um, and it was, we are genetically, I think very good at hiding illness. Um, and he just, I don't know, they, to look at him, there was nothing wrong. He had just started losing weight and had sort of lost his appetite a bit. Uh, and it wasn't until the very like, and sort of like the 11th hour that like he sort of started noticing things were really not good. And I think probably his, his beautiful fiance and his fiance, Christina is a doctor now. And she was in training then. And she was noticing things being the closest person to him that really weren't right. Uh, and I think I'm adamant, like she saved his life. So had all of these tests done and that was really confusing for him. This is a person who's never been sick in his life. Um, and I was standing out the front of the church saying, I said to Jill, I'll be in in a minute. Something's really wrong. And they, I, I called them and was like, what is happening? Somebody please tell me what's exactly what's going on. Cause I need to understand this. I know something's bad. Something bad is happening. And Tim told me, and I remember, I don't remember how I got into the church bathroom. I talked to him and was like, well, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. I'm coming home. And we got on a flight. Two days later, I think we were able to get on one. Um, I don't remember getting into the church bathroom, but I, I had a, like a fuzzy sweater on or something. And I, I remember sitting on top of the toilet, like on the cistern bit so that, I, I don't know, it was like such a stupid protective thing to do. I just, I didn't want people to see my feet. Mm. I didn't want anyone to see me. And I screamed and screamed and screamed into my jacket so no one would hear me. Um, cause he's my little brother. I I couldn't, it just was not fair. I wished I could take it away from him. I wish I could, if I could, same as my grandmother said about me, it's like, if I could like, just give it to me, please just give it to me. Don't give it to him. Um, and so we flew home and we started treatment. I got tested for the first thing I did was like, he needed potentially bone marrow and 
all sorts of stuff. So we went through all of that to try and see if I could give it to him. Um, and then we just we barreled on through and we had New Year's Eve and New Year's Eve in the hospital and we decorated it with fairy lights. Uh, they just tend to make you feel better. <laughs> and um, had the, the tiniest, tiniest New Year's Eve toast uh, and um, sat around in paper party hats and tried to make it okay. I had to come back over here because we were starting filming Nashville again, which was like I did not I did not I loved my job. I loved my job. It was incredible. I love what I do, but I did not want to leave Australia. <laughs> what season? You remember? Five, maybe, or yeah, it had to have been five. Yeah. I think. I just I find it crazy to be able to do work like I mean, there's also there's so many people who, you know, have to my mom was in the hospital for a really extended period of time and my dad had to go to work because there were hospital bills to be paid and you have to just do that every single day. But I don't, I still don't understand how you do it. I Especially work that's so emotionally demanding. That was really like it would, sometimes it would be difficult to stop crying. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I, uh, this is so silly. Um, i had to work myself into a, a mad frenzy for Scarlet for something. I think it was, it might've been her. I can't remember. I passed out on set cause I cried so hard. Oh my God. And I, I woke up and um, Callie was holding my hand. I was like, who wears white nail polish that I know? It was like, the, it was the most comforting thing. Cause Callie always wears white nail polish and she had my hand and I couldn't, it was like, my vision was coming back. Like a, uh, you get that tunnel vision thing. Yeah. I was fine. I just, I overworked myself and the DOP, Michael Lohman had picked me up and carried me off set. And I, I just, did everybody on set know what was going on with your brother? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, um, Tim wasn't sure how to tell people. And I was like, well, we, f- we figured it out together. And, um, it was beautiful outpouring of support from people. It was really, really, really lovely. Uh, and you know, I knew that he had mom and dad and Christina there and our family, my cousin Sally was incredible. She was there all the time. She's amazing. Um, she's kind of like, uh, like, like Lennon, Lennon's character, Maddie is, Scarlett's little cousin. Uh-huh. I have a mind Sally, <laughs> even though I feel like Lennon is my real cousin now because uh, we worked together for so long. Sally's like, she's just such a, such a cool person and like young, but she was only 19 when Tim got sick and she was always there with lunch and just like doing things that other people couldn't do. It was really cool. Um, and Tim, Tim was telling me a story the other day about he couldn't sometimes those, the drugs like, and I had, we were commiserating on this, how, if like you can only lay down, you can't stand up, you can't sit up. It's your equilibrium is just so shot that because of all the drugs going through your system, you just have to lay there. And there is a thing called Alice in Wonderland syndrome where you feel like you're huge or you're very small. It's really strange. And he was like, have you ever had this happen? I was like, yeah, it's horrible. Like you have to you have to really talk yourself down and look at your hands and know that they're not like, they're not going to come crashing out the window. It's, it's really strange. It does very weird stuff to your head. So he was sleeping out on the living room floor because our bedrooms were little and we, we still like live in our old family home. We love it there. <laughs> um, and, uh, our mum was going back and forth to the river. The river is on the end of the lawn. We live on the Minamara and all he could do was kind of turn his head 
uh, and like be on his back and turn his head to the side. And he was telling me, he was like, mum kept going back and forth and back and forth. I'm thinking, what is she doing? And he turned his head to the other side and she had been filling up a little bowl with, she'd put sand in it and um, like shells and things that she'd gotten out of the river. And she came up and she had like a toadfish and a little mud skipper and like she caught, she had a little, like a bait trap in the river so the little fish will swim in like yeah. the hermit crabs and stuff so she went and got some tiny wildlife and put it in a bowl next to tim's head so Aww. he couldn't be near the river <laughs> i know and he told me and we both just wailed because it was all Mum could do so yeah it was really cool so he's his health is good now he's getting married right he's amazing we were choosing wedding shoes yesterday that's amazing you're listening to the healthier together podcast Oh my gosh, I am so excited to share today's sponsor with you. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I am absolutely addicted to skinny dipped almonds. I remember the first time I tried them years ago when I had a full-time editorial job. I looked at the package and I was like, eh, they're chocolate-covered almonds. What's the big deal? I've had chocolate-covered almonds like a zillion times in my life. And then I took a bite and my mind was absolutely blown. The whole idea behind Skinny Dipped is that they use a super thin layer of chocolate, which, in my opinion, translates to a much better flavor profile. The ratios are just way better. Also, because there's way less chocolate, you're eating more of the healthy part of the snack, the almonds, in every single bite. They're 100% real, largely organic ingredients with no artificial flavors or colors, no weird sugar alternatives, and they're naturally gluten-free. But honestly, there's so much more to them than that. I've spent way, way too much time thinking about this. But I think the secret is that there's this thin layer of maple syrup and salt that's between the almond and the chocolate. So, okay, you bite into them and there are these bursts of different elements. First, you get this powdery outer layer, which has fun flavors like raspberry and mint. And we'll get to the amazing flavors in a second. But first of all, okay, so we have the powdery layer and then there's this creamy, rich chocolate layer. And then there's this burst of salty, sweet, almost caramel notes before the final toasty, crunchy nut. They're truly addictive. And you don't have to feel bad about eating them because mostly you're just snacking on almonds. You can get 20% off of your first order using the code Healthier Together, like the name of this podcast, on their website, which is skinnydipped.com. S K I N N Y D I P P E D.com. Again, that's a whopping 20% off with the code Healthier Together on skinnydipped.com. I cannot wait for you to try these. I truly have a problem, and I am so looking forward to you having a problem with me. All right, let's get back to the show. Let's start with physical what's the state of your physical health now um i am better than i've ever been in my whole life i went to a wonderful i have a couple of doctors here um who are just incredible um a nurse practitioner named judith who has taken care of me since i got here and um a, a doctor named uh dr hasi from the maxwell clinic in um and they through totally different schools of thought um, and different kinds of like both Western and holistic medicine. <laughs> the little bug back. Attracted to you. Oh, hey, buddy. <laughs> I'll let him out later. He'll be right. He was over there before. Sorry about that. Um, uh, they have helped me understand what happened to my body. That was, that was the thing. Like with the experimental stuff, the doctors were like, we don't know what it's going to do to her. So it might, I, I've, outlived about four life expectancies now the last one was like 27 
Um, and they, they said, we don't know what's going to happen, but something, something's going to happen. And it did. It was bad. Uh, so they, it was like you, your cancer was gone and you were cured, but they were like, there's going to be these long-term effects on your body. Yeah. And just things age faster things, you know, this, I was technically, I suppose, born with four kidneys because one was a horseshoe that never really, the one that was taken out, the horseshoe kidney is a kidney that never, it, it grows and it doesn't split into. Oh, interesting. But it was a double chamber and the other one is a duplex system. So that one was taken out along with a whole bunch of other stuff. And then this one, it's it's mutated. So normally people who have what I have pass away in utero, um, which I nearly did uh, as well. So it, it's normally they don't have to deal with that, this kind of stuff after the fact, after the cancer happens, which they don't know why it happens or any of that stuff. So um, dealing with um, an incomplete and then also mutated system, it makes you unable to process, uh, nutrients, food, like you can't turn food into nutrients like Mm -hmm. everybody else. Um, which led to, you know, various sort of theories about maybe it being all in my head. I was like, well, no, my heart feels like it's going to jump out of my chest and I'm, you know, identifying what, um, feeling sick and anxiety was separating the two. That was never something that doctors didn't really want to talk about it. And I had, I've met so many doctors in my life that have raised their eyebrows at me and shrugged. Like what was a real, like what was a physical symptom of like your heart racing or something like that versus what was a symptom of anxiety and how those two sort of intermingled? Yeah. Um, feeling bad all the time. Yeah. So I'm, I found out in the last couple of years that I'm allergic to a lot of stuff just, or intolerant of it because my system's just compromised. So say somebody might be able to handle MSG. I can't, it makes my whole body swell up. Um, and which was a really good way to get my brother to laugh when he was on chemo because <laughs> we were eating like we were eating Chinese food. I think I was like, wow, this is, I was so hungry and jet lagged and I'm sitting beside him and I was like, what do you, what do you want to eat? And he said Chinese or I think, yeah. Um, and unfortunately in Australia, like it's really difficult to find. It's just a fact of the matter. Like you have to call and say, do you use MSG in your food? It's a thing. Yeah. Um, and I forgot to call. Um, and we're sitting there. I was like, Oh wow, this is the best wonton soup I've ever had. Oh no. Cause it's a flavor enhancer. And Tim looked at me and he's like, ah. how are you just like starting to, <laughs> yeah, just starting to expand and you can see it on the television show. Actually, there are seasons like in the first, um, in the pilot, I'm, I look like this. And then in the third, second, third, fourth episode, I blow up really big. And it was really quite yucky to deal with like knowing that all these people are looking at me and my body is doing something like I eat really well. I exercise. I don't, I, I don't even eat meat. How is this happening to me? Like yeah. just not knowing and gaining like 15 pounds of fluid that I didn't know was fluid. I'm thinking I must like, do I have what's, what's happening? Not knowing what's going on. Um, and you know, with the heart racing thing that you asked, sorry, if, you know, if I eat MSG, I swell up really bad. My heart starts to race. It starts to palpitate. Um, and I have panic attacks. It's been really amazing being in the U S and exploring different schools of medical thought. Um, and my wonderful Dr. Judith saying, Hey, anxiety is a thing. It's okay. 
I, she, um, she studied psychology for a long time and she's actually the one who put me in touch with, uh, my counselor and helped me hugely in identifying what I had been dealing with my entire life that I didn't have a name for that a lot of the time, you know, people will say things like, oh, you know, as a sick child, they're used to getting a lot of attention. So they might just do things to do anything they can mm. to get it. And for me, it was like, no, I can't breathe. I can't like, I, you know, and it turned out one of my lungs had, I had a really bad kidney infection because of the mutation and this lung had collapsed a little at the bottom. And I was telling people, I can't breathe properly. I can't, I can't sing. I've, you know, and what stress does to you as well. And not knowing is like really stressful, yeah. not knowing what's wrong. Um, and yeah, to find out actually your lung was a little bit like, yeah, <laughs> it was, there was so much pressure on it. You couldn't expand. Um, so what are some of the like wellness health, you don't eat gluten, MSG, like what are the practices you do now to have your state of health be the best it's ever been? I drink very little alcohol. Um, I actually don't, I haven't had bourbon in forever. I love bourbon, <laughs> but I, I can't, um, this arm swells up. There's some lymphatic damage. You can probably see the scars there where mm. they're, they're not very big. And I actually, I love all my scars. So when I talk about them, they're, you know, they're a part of me and I really don't have an issue with them. It would actually be very strange to look down and if they were gone. <laughs> um, and so I, if I drink, um, like dark liquor or really any kind of liquor, this arm swells up really badly and it makes me feel panicky because it, it hurts. It feels, yeah. or I can't feel these fingers at all. And it's um, like my face changes shape because I have such a bad histamine reaction to, um, to, to gluten, to process things like um, sugar. I really can't have a lot of sugar. Um, it's only in the last six months that I've been able to have a little bit of wine. Um, and a lot of the time, uh, I, I don't, I don't want things that make me feel sick. And the more I identify them, people are like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to eat this in front of you. I'm like, no, 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 please eat it. Please enjoy it. I think it's awesome that you can digest that. I don't want it because <laughs> I know what it does to me. Yeah. So just like and stuff. And you've recently started eating meat again. Yeah. Um, which was a really uncomfortable, my doctor sat me down and he was like, okay, please, please don't try to be vegan. Cause I'd been talking about it and I was already a vegetarian. He was like, I need, I need you to listen to me really good right now. I was like, mm -hmm. all right. Um, he said, I know that, you know, we've come a really long way and you're like, we've, we've done, we've done so much to chase down your best health. I, you are not absorbing any, you, you just, you don't have enough pieces left to absorb like a normal person and need you to eat red meat at least like twice a week. And I was like, that's, that's like, to me, that was horrifying. Cause I, and I, Oh my God, I can't, it's like you eat chicken wings and then you pick one up and one of them is broken and you know how it like that she probably was like thrown or something on the, I just can't, it makes me so upset. So I have to, he said to me, I need you to try and eat meat just, just a couple of times a week, please. Can you please try? And I, I resisted for a really long time. Um, and I know that people will have opinions on this and frankly, like they don't, they don't know what it's like to live in this thing I call my body. And it's been, it's, I've done everything I possibly can 
I was a vegetarian for almost 10 years. And so to eat meat or any kind of animal product for me is, it doesn't just breeze by. It's actually quite disturbing for me. Um, and uh, I resisted and resisted. And then um, around our wedding, I started, I passed out right there and smashed my face on the floor. And it didn't matter how many supplements I took or how much vegetable protein I had. And I can't digest most um, proteins that, like, I think I can have pea protein and everything else um, blows my stomach up like a balloon. And I'm full of things called adhesions, which is scar tissue because of the way they opened me up and how everything happened after that, being opened up multiple times and then seizures and things like that. Um so everything is connected by these spider webs of almost like endometriosis actually, but from my lungs to my pelvic area. So everything is locked. And if it starts to, if I get bloated or it starts to spasm, um, it's so excruciatingly painful. I have to be taken to hospital because I start to be sick and I can't stop being sick. And then my, uh, I dehydrate and then I lose consciousness and it's just like this horrible thing for everyone to deal with. So that's how serious it is. If I get any kind of like intestinal thing happening and it's really annoying <laughs> and there are lots of people who deal with it, but I, yeah, I, um, after I, I had started passing out just randomly and I actually thought I was at that door there and I, th I was standing in the kitchen and I thought I can get, I can get to Brandon and I can tell him that I'm going to pass out because I felt that thing coming on that horrible prickly face, like vision closing in and the sound goes away. Sound's usually the last thing to go. And I got from, I went from the kitchen. So it's, I don't know, not, I don't know how many feet that would be like from, from around the corner to that door. And in my head, I, I, I slapped the door to keys. He was sitting out, out there on the balcony in my head. I, I hit the door as hard as I could to let him know that I, I was going to pass out. Cause if you pass out and you throw up or something like that, you can die. It's, ugh. um, and the last thing I wanted was for him to find me. So in my head, I'm banging on the door. What he saw was my hand sort of like sliding down, sliding down the door. And then I fell through it and I smashed my face on the floor. So my, my sweet little brother who thankfully was in remission at that time, it was right around the wedding. Um, I was so sick. My wedding dress didn't fit. It was too, it was like hanging off me. Um, and so Tim and Brandon carried me to that couch and, um, the next day Brandon was like, I need you to try, I need you to try and eat a little bit of meat. And I did that night. And honestly, overnight I felt it was like really, really cooked down bison. I'm very diligent about where we get any kind of animal product from. Um, and it comes from a local farm. Uh, and a lot of the time our friend John Carter, who you were talking about earlier, um, he'll like he, he hunts and he'll give us things that, you know, have come off his property out like way out. He's got another little cabin out there. Uh, and I, yeah, I felt it was like a little bison bolognese or chili or something. And I felt better overnight. Mm. And so it, I started very carefully reintroducing it. I had to puree it most of the time, which is yeah. really gross <laughs> meat shake. Um, what about other like weird wellnessy stuff? Do you do? Do you meditate? Do you do yoga? Yeah, um, I'm. Every morning I get up and I I write in a little gratitude diary and I'll like go through. I, I I grew up 
writing a lot. That was something that I did to sort of escape people because if you write and write and write, people tend to leave you alone. Um, it's not, not a particularly uh, social child a lot of the time. So that's something that really makes me feel good. Uh, and so I started, I'll, I'll write in a little book that's like, okay, how is my mind this morning and where can, where can I improve it? How's my body feeling? And it's a good way to keep track of your health as well, to keep a journal and what you've eaten and all that kind of stuff. Um, and how's my spirit. And so I'll do a little, every single morning I get up and I'm usually up before Brandon. So I'll have a cup of tea and write down my thoughts and write down what I'm grateful for and what would make today fantastic. Um, and I'm like, I always like, I'm so, I'm so happy and grateful that I got to wake up next to my beautiful husband this morning. Like it's the best. Every day is just like a gift. And that sounds so twee and so cliche, but it's true. Like I'm really, really lucky that I get to wake up next to Brandon. Um, and I get to know that my family is safe and happy and healthy. Uh, so like bringing positivity into my life in any way I can. Um, I do do yoga. I love yoga. It's like it makes things just hurt a whole lot less. <laughs> and, um, I, it really, I feel like opening up parts of your body that might be static a lot of the time, you know, you're, you're moving everything in yoga. I think that we hold, a lot of people hold stress and emotions, sadness, feelings, like all kinds of things. And people will like get into a, a weird pelvic pose and laugh their heads off because they've done this weird hip opener oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> like it just brings it all or out. Cry. I've seen so many people cry when they're in double pigeon. They'll just start bawling. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's such a wonderful release. It's incredible because otherwise you're just so full of adrenaline. You can't stand it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I try to, uh, I take CBD at night so that I sleep. Um, I have a smoothie every morning. That's my little, um, it's my, like I've hung on to my, uh, <laughs> anti-inflammatory sort of medicated vegan smoothie <laughs> that I make. What's um, in it? I'm, I do a green smoothie every morning too. Oh, really? I have like a section of my book that's like an ode to the green smoothie. I think it's the Amazing. singular thing you can do to change your health the most. It is fantastic. And for a long time I couldn't have greens cause I couldn't, um, my digestive system just wouldn't handle like kale is still out. I can't, can't do kale. I don't think anybody should be eating raw kale. It's an unpopular opinion, but I think it's yeah. really hard on your gut. It's a bit like eating a Brillo pad. That's, I always say it's like eating a pine cone. Really? Yeah. I feel like yeah. It's like digesting a pine cone, but a Brillo pad, same thing. I, you can, I feel like you can feel it at every phase of your uh -huh. intestine. That, that's one thing I have to be very, very careful of because there's so much scar tissue on the inside of me. Anything that like would be a normal sort of, or the average stomach upset for someone who hasn't had surgery like I it's have. It's much more intense for you. It's really bad. And it affects everyone around me. It sucks. So what's in your go-to? Um, it's actually not, it's not vegan anymore because I put uh, Greek yogurt in it. Okay. I thought you were going to say like ground bison. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> I've tried that once and it's really, really yucky. We're okay, not good. Don't, just Greek don't do yogurt's it. fine. Okay. Greek yogurt. <laughs> Greek yogurt, almond milk. Um, uh, my my little medicated protein thing that's vegan. Um, it's a pea protein base, I think. And it's got a whole lot of like herby anti-inflammatory things in it. Uh, honey, raw cacao. Um, sometimes I'll put like an electrolyte powder in it cause it's really hard for me to stay hydrated. doesn't matter how much water I drink. My kidney is like, no, nope, bye-bye. Um, and what else I'm trying to think. Oh, sometimes I'll make one for Brandon and I'll put, uh, like almond butter in it. Oh, and a banana and ice. That's about it. 
sorry, that's like the most roundabout way of explaining a recipe ever. It took me a really long time to figure out how to make that protein powder things taste good. Because mm. damn. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. It's like the stuff. And they're like, tastes like nothing, and which just tastes like vomit. It, no matter what you mix it with, they're like, just mix this with water and it's great. Just shake it up. It's fine. I'm like, um, well, stand aside because I'm going to projectile vom on you. <laughs> okay, I have two more semi-serious questions and then we're going to do a speed round because you have a premiere we're going to try to get you to tonight. Thank you. Um, semi-seriously, what is your relationship with your body now? It is like a little plant that I have to take really, really good care of. And I joke that it's like an old car. You know, it's like you, there are bits in it that don't really work properly or like, you know, like something modern. Um, I have a 1963 F100, so I liken it to that. It was my first truck when I when I came to Nashville, first car I've ever bought, um, and I love it. I still have it. And uh, that's kind of what I'm like. Occasionally something breaks down, so I have to go in for maintenance, and that's normal. And it, I've, you know, learned to not be afraid of the hospital. Um, it's a place where people help me. It hasn't always been that for me. Um, I haven't been to hospital in like a year and a half now, which I'm like stoked about. Um, Did you go through any of this stuff, especially being on a television show when you talked about like when you were bloated on a season, did you ever go through any of the hating your body or were you always just sort of grateful that it was powering you and keeping it you alive? Oh, I was, I mean, I felt terrible for it because like if we, you know, if you talk about your body as a separate entity to yourself, which in some ways it's sort of, is if you separate mind, body, and soul. Um, I felt bad for it because I didn't like it. I was like, why are you doing this? What is wrong? I'm doing everything right. I'm doing what everyone tells me that I should do. It's like, I should eat more fiber. It's like, that might kill me. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't have a normal system like everybody else. And that's fine, but I didn't know. So when you're trying so hard to do as much as you possibly can to make yourself healthy, uh, and reading all the books and trying all the diets. I don't like the word diet because it, for me, it has to be a lifestyle. And I feel like a diet is something that, I don't know, it can be very like closely related to like a fad yeah. and it makes people sick. And if you lose a lot of weight straight or like really quick, you're going to gain it back really quick. And it's just not, it's kind of the cyclical ugh thing. So I never, I never hated it. Um, I just, didn't understand it and I didn't know I was at my wits end not knowing what to do to the point where everything I ate came up so I just stopped eating and then my beautiful hair and makeup people from Nashville hadn't heard from me for a couple of days and I'd been I'd just been drinking water because everything hurt so much to eat Uh, and they said let us like let us take you to the doctor and that's how I found Judith she's amazing Mm -hmm. Um, and they probably saved my life, uh, just cause I couldn't keep anything down. I was, yeah. so it, it wasn't easy to be in front of so many people. And at the time it was much more frustrating. And there was a period where I looked back and was like, oh, wow, I don't even look like myself. And there's nothing wrong with having like puffy cheeks or like, it's cute. I looked, I liked the way I looked. I looked cute. Even when I was really cherubic and kind of, you know, you could see, my makeup artist is very talented. Um, so when cystic acne happened because of stress and, and diet that I couldn't seem to get right um, through, like, I tried so hard, but I just couldn't, uh, they made me look good. And I think that all shapes and sizes are beautiful, but I know what I'm, this is what I'm supposed to look like. This is my healthiest self that I've ever been. Um, so when you're looking at yourself and it's not, it's not seeing fat, that's not like when I was looking at, 
myself when I was really puffy. I wasn't fat. It wasn't fat. It was inflammation. And so knowing that it made me feel really, um, like it was terrifying because I knew that something was causing it and I couldn't figure out what. Mm. So it's kind of that when you're sort of medically minded because of my past, um, and you're searching for an answer and you know that it's, you know, it's not that you've been eating badly, you're doing everything right. And your body is seriously inflamed and hurting everywhere. And seemingly there's nothing you can do about it. It's just like, is this what it's going to be? Um, now I look back and I, I know that now that that's what that was. And it was, I, you know, there were times where I was a bit, you know, it was, I was self-conscious because a dress would fit one week and then the next week it wouldn't and like it would be too small. And then the next week it would be hanging off me to the point where they'd have to repin it to shoot like continuity stuff. Yeah. So there are scenes where my face is like all puffed up and then I'm Skeletor. The yeah. Next. yeah, it's weird. So it wasn't easy, but um, now I look at it and I'm like, that was my journey. And I, I have to, when you can't be kind to yourself, I hold that you must look at yourself like the child that you were. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be nice of me to say about somebody else, wow, God, she put on a bit of weight. That, that's not a nice comment. It's not a comment that needs to come out. No one really needs to hear that. And I really don't like it when people, especially coming from my hospital days where people were missing legs and eyes and, you know, it's like, you're going to comment on that. Um, so I have to look at myself as someone else and be really kind to her and be like, wow, she felt really sick that day. Still cute. You know, that's a good lead into my last semi-serious question, which is you give off this aura of just sort of like dripping in gratitude. And I think a lot of people who have had a lot less objective struggle than you have a hard, myself included, have a really hard time finding things to be grateful for and have a really easy time focusing in on the more negative elements of life. Is there anything that you could tell those people to help sort of tap into that part of yourself? Um, it can be very hard because people... People who are mean and like people who bully and, you know, the things, bad things happen because of fear. It's like those people who pulled their children away from me when I was a kid. They were frightened. You said it. It's fear. It's a natural thing that we all, like, we are all capable. We are all bound to feel at some point. And unfortunately, um, the way things are marketed in, like, I don't know, that there are things happening all over the world and in the news and I I think that the free press is the most, like that the media has to be able to tell the truth and things have to be, like I'm not, I would never ever slag the media ever. Like that's not what this is, but I, I do know that there, there are terrible people out there doing terrible things and if you have a steady diet of, like I didn't grow up with television, so coming here, now we have one in that room and there's a projector screen there that we really don't use very often. Um, I have to step away from the terrible things in the world that I cannot control and get really small. And the, the news is, it's so important. And I, I am, I am connected and I know what's going on, but every now and then I have to take a step back and be like, okay, what can I do for the benefit of the people directly around me? Because they're probably feeling like this too. How can I, how can I make it a tiny difference, even in the smallest way? And that's where the song little by little came from. Um, it's, it, it really does feel helpless and hopeless and it can make us forget to be grateful 
um, because there is some really bad stuff going on in the world. There always has been, but right now it's very, like people are very divided. It's very us and them and I, I can't stand it. So do you find by reaching out and trying to do little things for other people, does that build your own, does it like work your gratitude muscle almost? It does. Yeah. And asking people to like every now and then I'll do like a little by little thing actually. And I'll ask people, Hey, tell me about something that you experienced this week. That was like a random act of kindness, whether you saw it, whether you did it, whether you received it. And just, so there is this thread people know that they can come to my socials and particularly on on Instagram and they can read all of these beautiful things. And some of them might be quite, um, they they might be sad as well. That's like, there is room for sadness too, but mostly it's really positive stuff. And even the sad things viewed in a positive light. And it just, it takes you out of yourself. Well, people have said this anyway, they said it, it takes me out of myself a little bit and helps me remember that even like you might change somebody's day with a kind word and they might've had a really rough time and been so absorbed in like the washing machine of, Oh, the world is bad. Everything's terrible. I'm not good enough. And even taking a break from social media sometimes is really, really important. I've just done this right recently. And, but do you not get like angry ever? Like what the fuck? Why did I have to have this cancer? And why did then my brother have to have it? Like to be able to find gratitude amidst that type of thing, I think is this incredible thing. I was furious that my brother was sick. I was furious that all of my grandparents got sick and the way they, I'm not like dying is a normal part of what happens to us. It's, it's dreadfully sad. It's, it's horrendous, like missing someone, but it is, it is part of it's what we do. <laughs> we all exit this world like the same way at some point. And, uh, so I don't know, not about me. Um, it's about the way people suffer and, you know, people it's, um, actually I get kind of funny about it. People say like, fuck cancer. I don't normally, I don't swear on stage cause kids come to see my show, but I swear a lot in real life, <laughs> but people say fuck cancer. And I'm like, no, it's not cancer is a thing that is a, is a result of how polluted our world is and how like how much sugar there is in everything. And there's a lot, like it's, it's the chemicals that we are surrounded by. Our environment is harsh. We have made it really harsh. And there are people who have signed off on making it harsh. Those people, I I get very angry at people who make decisions that affect millions of people, thousands of, whether it's thousands, hundreds, millions of people, I, and they've, they've made a decision usually to make money. Yeah. That makes me raging mad because they didn't have to, they didn't have to sit and watch my friend pass away and watch her mother scream like her lungs had been torn out of her. Like that's, um, it's yeah. The people who are careless and you know, the, like people talking about the opioid crisis and how that actually happened. Um, and it is a real, it's horrible. It's horrible. And people are just, I remember going to the dentist. This made me really, really mad and maybe I'm getting off track, but well, not really. I went to a dentist. Um, not the one I go to now. He's fantastic, but it was, it was a long time ago and I had a bit of a toothache and, um, he was sitting behind his desk. He was an older gentleman and he'd finished the consultation, raised his eyebrows at me and like looked over his glass and was like, you want some narcotics? I was like, no, I don't don't, don't, you shouldn't say that with the door cracked open and so casually like it's, if it wasn't your first, you need to have these because you're in so much pain. Yeah. It's just like, 
like an afterthought or yeah, a footnote. Yeah. I'm like, I'm good. Thanks, mate. And I never went back. Um, that kind of thing, that makes me furious. Um, yeah, I do. I get, I get very angry like at inequality, at the way people treat one another because of the color of their skin, when they treat one another badly, when, they, when people are divided by those who should be far more responsible in power. Um, it's, it makes me start raving mad. But I can't, I can't allow myself to become hardened by other people's meanness and I don't want to be hardened by thinking the things that happened to me were unfair. They made me who I am. Everything happens for a reason, I think, even if the reason is something that we don't find out in this life. Mm. There are, there, I would never ever like try to minimize anybody's pain by saying like, oh, it's, it was meant to be. It's yeah. like, no, there are some things that should never have happened and they have, and it's not fair. It doesn't make it any easier like it, it's not it's not an okay thing to say it was meant to be that's what was meant to happen it's just you know there might be a reason for it and it might not be a very good one and we may not find out on this plane of existence um i don't know i just know that this is really temporary this life and i uh, but to the point where i even forced myself to forget how old i was in my mid 20s because i was told that i wouldn't I wouldn't be here after 27, which is okay, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't know any difference, so I'm good. A lot of people wanted to know who on the Nashville cast you're closest with in real life. Jonathan. He is Avery. Avery. Yeah. Actually, Brandon just finished having lunch with him earlier. <laughs> so you guys are like actually buddies would hang out on a normal. Anybody else you would hang out with on like a Saturday night normally? Um, not really because Saturdays are for sleeping or the Opry. So it's like I don't. Yeah, I'm kind of a workaholic. Um, toured a lot with Chip. Uh, have a my wonderful makeup artist, Sandy. She and I were like sisters. She's so wonderful. Um, and Callie I saw the other night. Uh, everyone's sort of all over the place. Um, and, and Lennon, we run into one another. We have the same hairdresser. Uh, so we get to run into one another when like, usually we're both on the road. She's also making some really fun music. She is wonderful. Yeah. She's such a, I just love her to death. All right. And last one, what is one big mistake you made and what's one thing you really feel like you got right? Mistake I made was, I don't know how I could have avoided it. I suppose... I've trusted people I shouldn't have trusted and I, I've doubted my own gut feelings to the point of it nearly getting me, honestly nearly getting me killed um, and thought that, believed, believed someone when they said I deserved it, um, which of course was the person who did it. <laughs> um, and I, I don't really have any regrets. It was a mistake. I should have treated myself better, but it made me stronger and it made me realize that I'm supposed to still be here and I'm still here for a reason. And frankly, by treating myself badly, I was being very ungracious towards all the people who didn't get to still be here uh, from my childhood. So it was a mistake to allow myself to be treated badly, um, particularly by men. But I, the experience made me whatever it is that I am. And I'm really grateful that I still get to be it. <laughs> and would that be the thing you really got right? Or is there something else that you would say you really got right? 
nailed that one. When I, I was, I was very nervous about, um, falling in love with Brandon and it was involuntary. Like he's, he's an angel, absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous creature. Uh, and I previously, um, flashback like previously on nashville sorry (laughs) like every time i say that word i'm like oh my god i have to not use that word anymore um all right we're okay uh before brandon i had decided and i found out that he had done the same thing i had decided that it was better for me not to be with anyone it was i just was meant to be on my own um and it was safer that way because my experience with relationships had been so dreadful that like we we joke about it, like it will make a really funny book one day. Yeah. Um, but it was not funny at the time. It's it's nice when it gets to the point of being funny. Um, but back then it wasn't good. And so I had decided that it was just better not to not to let anybody in, but to, you know, to be have friends, have wonderful friends and wonderful like relationships that were not romantic because I had never been loved properly. Um, even though I had tried my best to love others properly. I will say that. Um and so when I fell in love with Brandon, I was terrified that a my the things that had hurt me would like overflow out of me and hurt him. Um, and so I kept away from him for a really long time, purposely, just to, because he has his own story that one day I'm sure he'll share with everybody. Um, that you know, he, reasons that he had decided that he was better off by himself as well. But I trusted him and I couldn't help it. And I had to make a conscious decision to say to him that I, I just really enjoyed being around him and I didn't want to be afraid anymore and that I was falling in love with him. And I remember having this wonderful conversation with him at a little bar we used to go to. Um, it's like a little private bar that's shut down now. We uh, <laughs> we stole a couple of the jewel. They gave us the chairs that we used to sit in. It was really sweet. Um, I know it was like our whole relationship sort of started there. Um, and we had this beautiful talk one night and I, I couldn't take my eyes off him. We There was all this stuff happening around in this bar and – it was funny, the Kings of Leon were making a lot of noise at one end of it. And it was like one of those places where you're not allowed to take photos. And it was, so there was all of this stuff happening. And Brandon and I were just, it was like being in a bubble. It was almost like all the, all the sound went away. And he said, I, I, he was very brave too. Um, and at the same time, um, we both said to one another, I, I don't want to ever be without you. I, I love you so much more than I've ever even known love could be and I I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I can't I can't be without you. <laughs> you got that one right. He's amazing. <laughs> he's incredible. And he's opened up the world for me um in ways that I didn't he said to me when we first met, he's like, I'll introduce you to the best people in Nashville. Because he understood what it was like to be shy. And uh he did. And they're some of my greatest friends and I have like I'm so lucky to have them. And it was interesting when we did the the tour, when we released my record here in Nashville, the City Winery, I realized on the stage that partially because of my incredible team at Activist and because of Brandon, I was standing on this stage in a place that had sold out to hear our music. And I realized I was playing my hometown show and I've never really had that feeling 
before because I never felt like I belonged anywhere. And I'm looking out into the crowd and there's <laughs> there's my doctor and our neighbors and our, like the, the wonderful people that take care of me in my career at Activist and the people at CAA and the like the label and then all of those incredible people that Brandon said that he would introduce me to who truly are the best people in Nashville, our best friends. And it was like, oh man, <laughs> I, I feel like I just fell into my life and here it is and this is my home i'm home yeah i got that right <laughs> full body chills well thank you so much so Claire. this was so lovely thank you i hope that you love that conversation and you loved claire as much as i did it was so magical getting to just sit with her in her little nashville home with her all of her pets everywhere and get to talk to her so i hope you loved it and i cannot wait to hear your reaction so definitely screenshot wherever you're listening post on instagram tag her at claire mb and then tag me at liz moody so we can continue the conversation over there remember the 10 day actually delicious detox is available on lizmoody.com if you would like to check that out and see how good you can feel in your body for the new year i hope that you love it and i can't wait to see you on the next episode so make sure you're subscribed and i will see you then I have a product that is going to change your life. I've recommended this to so many people and they're all floored. It's basically a perfect dupe for the viral Laneige lip mask, but a million times better and with ingredients that are clinically proven to help dry lips and actually good for you, which is important because you're essentially eating anything that goes on your lips. It is the Osmia Lip Repair Overnight Mask and it feels like heaven. And you're going to want one for yourself and also to stock up and give them as gifts because they are the best present. They help my dry lips when nothing else works and I will never be without mine now. And while you're on the Osmia site, you are going to want to stock up on the bar soaps. This is the original product that Dr. Sarah Villafranco, the founder, created, and they have converted me to bar soaps after years of not being able to take the plunge. They're cured longer, so they last way longer than any other bar soap I have ever found, which is amazing for travel. I have been traveling so much recently, and I've had literally the same bar of soap, and they smell amazing, and they do not dry out your skin. Go with the scent that speaks to your soul, but coffee mint is my personal favorite. Finally, if you remember Sarah's pod episode, she has a whole line of products that help with skin conditions like perioral dermatitis, which is when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. She's famous for this. So start with the black clay facial soap and the purely simple face cream if you are like, oh yes, that is me. If you would like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com.